0: You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. What's happening is Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem, not for the final time because he's leaving every night and staying in Bethany, but what he's doing on Sunday, he arrived, what we call Palm Sunday to the shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna. Then on Monday, he cursed the fig tree, which is essentially cursing Israel. Then he chased out the money changers. He chased them out of the temple. He cleansed the temple. That happened on Monday. But what's going to happen is over the next couple of days is he is going to do three things. He is going to preach the gospel. He's going to teach in the temple, but he's also going to heal people. They would bring the lame. They would bring the deaf. They would bring all of these people in need of physical healing to him in the temple. He was healing them. His teachings were threatening to those who were the religious leaders, the religious Jewish leaders of the time. What he was teaching was contradicting what they were teaching. So, What did they do? Let me read you just three quick verses. In Luke 19, 47, they sought to destroy him. They said, this can't happen. 20, verse 19, they sought to lay hands on him. And then Luke 20, 20, they sent spies in to listen to what he was teaching in order so that they could catch him and be like, aha, see, this guy needs to die. Like I said, what we're going to look at next week or in two weeks is going to be the parable of the landowner or the parable of the wicked servants. But what we look at today is going to set that up. So let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 20, starting in verse number one. We're going to look at uh, verses one through eight today. It says, one day as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Let me, first, let me ask you a question first, he replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? They talked it over amongst themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, the people will stone us because they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they replied that they didn't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. See, what happens is Jesus catches them. As any good Jewish rabbi, they teach by asking questions. I know uh, a lot of us were taught, don't ever answer a question with a question, but that's exactly what was happening here. He asked them that question. He said, riddle me this, John the Baptist going around doing his thing, was that from heaven or was that from man? They were like, ooh, ouch. They knew that they would be in trouble if they truly said what they thought, which was the whole thing phoning baloney. Luke, our author, our human author, does a great job of really bringing to prominence the life and ministry of John the Baptist. Luke is the only one who records that Luke, that Luke, John the Baptist, and his entire family, starting with Zechariah, his mother Elizabeth, and even John the Baptist, when he was in the womb, all three of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Luke does a really good job of of making sure that John the Baptist is very prominent in his role of being the forerunner to Christ. He's not Christ. John even said, nope, not me. He's coming. But his message was a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. If you look at Luke uh, 3, I believe, it says exactly that. A baptism of repentance of repentance for the remission of sins. In other words, get your heart right, the Messiah is coming. You need to understand your own sinfulness. You need to get your head around that, and you need to repent. You need to be water baptized. Now, is the baptism itself doing the impartation of grace that allows that to happen? No. Baptism is a symbolic gesture. It is what happens in the heart. So John is preaching this message of repentance for the remission of sins. Luke shows and makes the case that this is fully of God, not of man. So Luke, the author, human author of this, so here's the thing to keep in mind. For us, we are sitting here reading our Bible. We are reading this knowing how this ends, presumably, we are we are kind of the fly on the wall. But you have to look at, at the time of Christ. They didn't understand. His own disciples, his own apostles that he called, didn't get it sometimes. They were like, oh, I'm not quite putting all the pieces together. You and I, we have all the pieces put together. But at the time, they didn't. But Luke, what he does in his gospel he makes the case that this is fully of God, not of man. It wasn't John the Baptist sitting around thinking, well, you know what would be good? If I dressed in camel hair, if I ate locusts and wild honey and grew a big bushy beard, he wasn't thinking that it was what the Lord told him to do. The reason this is a problem is the religious leaders of the time They thought that they were the only ones who had it right with God. Look back at verse number two. Let's go back one slide to verse number two. They demanded, look at this, look at the audacity of these people. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? That's a legit question. Whose authority are you doing? But watch the next verse. Who gave you the right? That is so unbelievably arrogant of them because they thought that they had God on lock. They're like, you want God? You got to come to me first. That was their understanding of everything. Of course, it was a twisted understanding. But they thought that they were the gatekeepers of the things of God. And as we saw last week with the money changers, they were preying on the people, trying to make a quick buck. They were trying to gouge the people because the people needed what they were selling, which was God. And we saw how Jesus responded to that. He went in and chased them out of the temple. They were the gatekeepers of the things of God until God Himself shows up. He was like, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm God. That's what he was telling them. They were dumbfounded and didn't know how to respond. See, the reason they got so upset is because he was taking their authority, their power, and their influence. Not to mention, you want to get somebody's attention? You start talking about their pocketbook. You start trying to take money out of their wallet, you're going to get somebody's attention real quick. So here was Jesus preaching the gospel, God's covenant of grace in himself. Jesus is saying, you don't need all of this religious stuff. You need me. I am going to be that sacrifice. Place your faith in me. That's what he's doing. Well, the priest, whoa, hey, whoa, hang on, hang on, hang on. I need you to come to me so that I can tax you in order to go into the temple. Then I'm going to tax you again on your way out. Then I'm going to tax you here. You need me. And Jesus is saying, you don't need anybody. You need That's what he was doing. So he's taking away their authority. He's taking away their power, their influence, not to mention their pocketbooks. A good illustration of this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying, see these guys over here? Let's just take prayer, for example. They would stand on the street corners outside of the synagogues, and oh, they would pray, and they would pray these eloquent prayers. Why? Why would they do that? Were they prayerful people? They were. But what were they doing? They were doing that for the applause of man. Be like, wow, that dude can pray. You you see that, Timmy? You see? My gosh, that guy can pray. Then that guy who's standing up there praying is like, oh, man. Who has the best prayers in the land and who has two thumbs? This guy. That's what he, he was getting puffed up. He was, yeah, people need me. But Jesus just punches a hole right through that and says, you don't need to be like that dude standing on the corner. You need to go privately and pray to me because it's a heart-to-heart prayer. Really, spirit-to-spirit prayer. You don't need all of this stuff. You need me. That's what he was telling them. So the people believed that John the Baptist was a prophet. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus refers to John the Baptist as the greatest prophet. You mean better than Jeremiah? Better than Isaiah? Those are the words of Christ. Why? Because John understood that the Messiah, the Redeemer himself, was coming. See, back then, back in Isaiah's time, redemption was. They, they thought of it a little bit different. They thought redemption for Israel. But John understood that Christ coming, this new covenant, would be personal, not for a country. So what ended up happening to John the Baptist? Herod Antipas pew, cut off his head. John was out there preaching this baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, and he ended up getting killed because of that. So this is a very, very short passage of Scripture. I always joke with Nate about this, so we ask the question, so what? That's a good passage of Scripture, so what? See, when we read the New Testament, we know who Jesus is, but at the time, many of the people didn't. We know that Jesus had power and authority in his earthly ministry. He was fully God and fully man. We know that. We know that in Luke chapter 4, he cast out demons, and the people said, What authority and power this man has to cast out these demons, and they come out of him. What power and authority he has. In Luke chapter 5, we find out that Jesus had the power to forgive sins. He said that to the paralytic. He could have just said, here, your leg's better. Get up. But what he did was he said, get up. Your sins are forgiven. Now arise and walk. That blew everybody away. Because why is that important? Only God had the power to forgive sins. See, Jesus showed up, and slowly, as we go through Luke's gospel, we are seeing the revealing of the Christ. We know who he is, but at the time, if you put yourself in the position of Peter, for example, you're like, okay, well, he's claiming to be Christ, and I'm there at the transfiguration. I'm starting to see this unveiling. But for us, we know that, but we are reminded of this. We know that just by his words in Luke 7, he healed the centurion's servant. Just by his words. In Luke chapter 8, we have the woman who risked her life to crawl through that crowd just to touch the hem of his garment. Enough to where Jesus, who had this power and authority, was like, whoa, power just came out of me. Who was that? That's the kind of power that he had not to mention his authority. Also in Luke 8, he calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. The apostles who were in the boat with him are freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? He stands up and he said, peace, be still. And that storm stopped immediately. Why is this so important to us? Only God has the power to calm the storm. You couldn't get a magician, you couldn't get a, you know, whatever, a fortune teller or somebody to stand up and, you know, try to stop the storm. Only God had the power to do that. The religious leaders knew that Jesus had power and authority. In fact, they even accused him of getting that power, not from above, but from below. They accused him of the power of Satan, which is how he's doing all of these miracles, they accused him of doing that. Jesus is the Lord with power and authority. These guys, these religious leaders were questioning his power and his authority. saying, Okay, are you really from, from God? Or are you just kind of doing it on your own? Not only did Jesus demonstrate and have that authority and that power, but he also taught. He taught that the kingdom of God is at hand. He taught kingdom principles, kingdom principles that we can take to the bank, but he gave us those with an earthly application so that our peanut little sized brains can understand it. We can understand some of these parables that he teaches because he's teaching us that kingdom truth, that thing that you can take to the bank. He taught us that with an earthly application. And see, what was about to happen is Jesus was about to become God the Father's perfect sacrifice later that week. The reason he did this, God sent Jesus because he loved us. He loved us so much that he sent Christ to die on our behalf. He did this in order to bring us, you and I, as well as these religious people. Christ died for them to be back into fellowship with the Father, if we choose to do that. See, Jesus had the power and authority, but he didn't just do miracles. He taught God's kingdom and he taught God's standard to every single person, including us, but not everybody's going to listen. Not everybody's going to hear it and say, you know what, I need to do that. Whoops, I was wrong. That was my fault. I will fix that, go back to God and be good. But here's the other thing. As we go through these sermons... As we go through Luke's Gospels, there is a lot that we can pull out of this. Tom is excellent at pulling out the application factor. Eric and I kind of tend more towards the teaching side. Which one is better? The answer is yes. They're all better. Tom would beg to differ. But but there is application that we can pull out of this. So today, when they question Jesus' authority, his power, what can we pull from that? Not a lot. I can't walk out of here and say, okay, here's what I can apply to my life today. Other than to reiterate that Jesus had power and he had authority, there's not a lot that we can do that, but here's the dirty little secret, that's okay. Okay. Because it's not always, what do I get out of it? You see, for us, the reason we come to church, yeah, it's to see everybody's smiling faces. Yeah, that's part of it. Yes, it's to get coffee. Yes, it's to pray over Operation Christmas Child boxes. It is those things. But most importantly, it is to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We worship him for who he is, not for what he does for us. So when we look at this and we ask ourselves, and it's okay to ask ourselves, okay, what what can I learn from this? The only thing that we're going to learn today, Jesus is the Lord. Whether we like it or not, he is the Lord. When we surrender to him, he becomes our Lord. See, there's, there's a often uh, misstated, and I think with, with good intentions, people say, have you made Jesus Lord, Lord of your life? I've asked people that before when I really started thinking about that. I don't make him anything. I don't know who I think I am. I don't make him anything. He is Lord. The better question is, have you received him as Lord? Have you surrendered and said, Lord, I cannot do this on my own? I can try, I can wish to be in the presence of the Father, but I can't. I am too unrighteous. When we place our faith in Jesus, when we say, you were God's perfect sacrifice. You met God's, God the Father's standard. I fall way down here, but you were here. God's wrath was poured out on him. That wrath that we deserved. Each and every one of us, and I think that's a, just my opinion, I think that's something that kind of gets lost in the shuffle. For our sinfulness, let's just say my sinfulness, for my sinfulness, God has every right to pour his wrath out on me and I deserve every bit of it. God's wrath, his hatred for sin, should be poured out on me. But what Jesus did was he did it not just for me, but for Jesse Pascal too. He said... I am going to pour my wrath out on my son because I love you that much. So God's wrath is a very, very real thing, and it it was directed at Christ. It was poured out on him. He did that because he loves us. So now our response is to surrender and place our faith into Jesus Christ. There is one way to heaven, if you watch Oprah, there's multiple. There's not. There's one. There is one way to heaven. That is through the sun. We can't work for it enough. We can't earn it. It is God's gift of love and grace towards us. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, says that if you believe in your heart, and confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. It is that simple. It starts with your heart. We need to hear who Jesus is. That's why sermons like these, where it is just simply his word going forth, when we see who Christ is, that's, that's what needs to click in our heads. It's not us, you know, trying to do anything fancy. It is just simply looking at Jesus, admiring him for who he is. He is the one with power and authority. Romans 10, 9 and 10 is believing in that. Now I'm going to ask John and Tracy and the rest of the worship team to come back up. But it starts by hearing the word of God. I've heard who Christ is. Now, I need to believe in my heart, not just say, Well, I believe in God. Because if you were to ask me at 23 years old, Are you a Christian? Yep, I'm not a heathen, I'm not that. But was I following Christ? No, I was not. It took me 28 years to come to that point. 28 years of thick skull. I finally began. I will never fully, but I began to understand God's love for me. That He loved me enough, that, and that's very selfish, but that's where I was. He loved me enough to die for me. So, as the worship team plays this next song, I want to encourage you if you have never done that, or if you think it's time that you need to come back to the Lord, maybe you've been out wandering with all the best intentions and you want to come back to the Lord, and you want prayer to help do that, myself, and I'm going to ask uh, Tom and Dennis, if you guys want to come down, and we will pray for you, if you are willing to do that, I encourage you to do so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that we looked at today, that we are reminded of who you are, that you are the Lord. You are the one with power and authority. These religious leaders question that, yet we look to your word to understand that you are who you say that you are. And Father, we thank you for this message that went forth here today, that it speaks to someone, that it reminds us of who you are and why we come to church, and that is to worship you. It is about the work of Christ. And our part is to respond to that in faith, not in fact, but in faith, that we place our saving faith in you. And Father, we just say thank you for this. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is leading this entire service here today. Heavenly Father, thank you. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray and ask this. And amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tonti Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.